Welcome to the morning service of Hamilton Square Baptist Church via live stream. I hope a lot of it comes from heaven, from the heart of God, into your heart. We have good news for you. God is still God, and nobody else is. He is enthroned above the vault of the earth. His son Jesus Christ is still calling sinners to himself, still saving the lost. The Holy Spirit is still in the business of ministering to his people. You and I are sons and daughters of God Almighty, and we have met together to thank him, to praise him, and to worship his great name. The wonderful promise is this. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. The promise of an almighty God, we take it literally and we will seek him in this hour. Amen. Amen. Now, we, uh, Pastor Pelletier is going to read a special scripture. Uh, we, are, we are ministering in difficult days. Our country is in a mess and, and uh, in so many different ways. And the, the, the powers of darkness have powerfully influenced the culture in our nation and the, the, the events in our nation. How, how do you minister? How do you minister in, in, the, in the confines of the difficulties in which we have? And I, please, if you will, turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. And, and please notice carefully, you have a church here. You have a church here that was vibrant in the midst of a lot of difficulties. How did they minister? What was the result of that ministry? A very, very important information that we have for us here in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. So read along in your Bibles, please, as Pastor Pelletier leads us in the reading of God's Word. Ten very short verses, but to the point that we need to hear today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us, and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves see, show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, 
which delivered us from the wrath to come. We continue on the subject, how to live and minister in an aggressively pagan age. And we indeed are living in an aggressively pagan age. You convert or else. And that's the way it is. We need to stop worrying about our circumstances in this country. And we need to begin to focus on the power of our ministry, of our mission, and of our message. Because indeed, indeed, these are days of tremendous opportunity And may I add, days of tremendous responsibility. These are not days. These are not days for naysaying. And these are not days for lamenting the circumstances in which we find ourselves. These are days in focusing upon the greatness of our God, the greatness of our message, and the greatness of our mission. Now, we, I, we have an outline, and I hope that you have downloaded it. It gets a little long, but I think review is always a necessary part so that we maintain some continuity in our thinking and in the points in the message. It is not possible to live and minister in our day and age unless you have an unmovable foundation in your life. Now, these are the days when, in Christianity, the men are going to be separated from the boys, and I use that in a figurative way. The men and the boys are going to be separated one from the other. From the other, There must be, first of all, a very intense, innate, personal knowledge of God. Not just, not just a knowledge about God, not just theories about God, philosophy about God, a personal knowledge of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. A personal relationship with God as Enoch had, who walked with God as Noah had, who walked with God in a very, very ungodly day and age. And we've been through that in our previous messages. We must have a foundation in God's Word, in God's Word. The only inspired record that we have, the only revelation that we have, there are things that you cannot know. Science cannot answer the question of who you are, why you are here. It is interesting to me to hear the the ignorance of highly educated people who, who cannot distinguish the matter of gender and who have no idea, who can't look at nature itself and figure out what's going on. Absolutely amazing how wild how wild the philosophies of the day have become. They have become that way because they have no idea of the one who created these things. In fact, they attribute all of this to evolution. Someday I'm going to give you, a, maybe I should give you a chart on evolution and show you that he's nothing but God. He's nothing but Satan in disguise as God. That's, that's, what, that's what evolution is. So, so we have the inspired record of God's word. It's the only authentic information about our existence. It's the truth to be proclaimed. We saw that in previous messages. And then we have said that you have to have the foundation of a created order. Amazing to me is that science talks about a universe. Now, universe presupposes that the whole thing is one and operates together as an, in, in integrity as a unit. But, but that's a presupposition that, that evolution cannot, cannot sustain. If it happens, it happens as it happens, and just throwing a, a bowl of Cheerios all over the floor does not give you any desire or order. 
It won't happen that way. There isn't a unit. There's nothing, there's nothing that's unifying in that at all. It's all random chance. If it's random chance, you don't know who you are. You don't know what the truth is. So stop saying that the Christians are wrong. Stop saying that they're wrong because you don't know a thing for sure. I never, never forget an overeducated man was in my office. He, he was a professional student, and I don't know how many degrees he had, and he proclaimed to be agnostic. And I looked at him and I said, "Look, you, there's no way in the world that you can say that I'm wrong. You, you have because you don't know anything for sure. That's right. You don't know anything. Why are you so dogmatic when you don't know anything for sure?" You say there is no foundation, there are no absolutes, all right, that's an absolute statement, by the way. And, and so, so at any rate, at any rate, stop this intellectual philosophical nonsense. If you're an evolutionist, you know nothing for sure, you have nothing to propagate, except unless you make your brain God for everybody else. And that's what they're doing in our country today. So the only authentic source of information about our existence is, comes from our creator. There is a created order. And our God created in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, he made a cosmos out of chaos because the world, earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God moved over the surface of the waters. And in six days, God put this whole thing in a specific order scientifically. And uh, God, there was a plan, there was a purpose, and there was a design. You know, Christians are the only people in the world that know for sure that there is purpose, plan, and design for their lives. They're not here by accident, and they, they know that they come here in the, in the sovereign design and plan of God before the world or universe was even in place, before the foundations of the earth, in the mind of God, by name, God knew our existence, and God knew us. Absolutely amazing. You get no dignity in humanity. You evolutionists, you've robbed all mankind of their dignity. You've made them into masses of nothing going nowhere. On a journey through who knows what. I mean, this is disgraceful what you've done with God's plan. You have God's plan, purpose, and design. You have God's plan for the ages. And we talked about that, the Greek word that means what takes place in time. And, and we talked about how that God is in charge of history. We have a mechanical universe. That's the hardware. We have the purposes and plans of God in history. That's the software. That's what gives the universe meaning. That's what gives the universe uh, order, is the plans and purposes of God in history. And we talked about this particular uh, item in the message last Sunday. And we talked about the writer of Hebrews talking to believers living in confusing, difficult times which were called ages and how that God has, God has prepared every period of history, every period of time for a special purpose. There is a special purpose for the history of the United States in this hour. And we, then we went to Daniel and we saw there that, that God is the one in charge of human history. And I've, I've added a little to our notes for this week, and we'll go there next. But God, God is the one in charge of this. Somebody said, well, uh, we just had an election. We had an election, but God, God before that election made his election. Now hear me. Hear me. God is in charge of this whole thing. And when it's done, his will and purposes are going to be accomplished if you and I will be a part of it. And hear me, it is our place as believers 
to get on board with what God is doing in our age, in our time. Hear me. We are assigned this age and this time and these circumstances for ministry. We are to adapt, adopt, filled with the Spirit of God, empowered by God's Word. We have a message, we have a ministry for our day, our time, our president, our politicians, our society, our culture, and our entire world. We are at the right time in the right place. God is in charge, and instead of grumbling and complaining, it's time for us to get on board and do our job as believers. Amen. We are the church. We are the church of Jesus Christ. It's our business to do what the church is to do in the time and the age in the, in the, with the assignment that God has given us. It is not for us to determine the assignment. It is for God to de determine the assignment. It is for us to, now hear me, are you listening? Most preachers would say to accept the will of God. <clears throat> I think we've got to go beyond that. Accepting God's will is one thing. We should not be dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. We need to embrace the will of God and get on with the program. We need to do more than to accept what God is doing. We need to embrace what God is, not what the devil is doing. We need to embrace what God has allowed in our lives. We need to embrace the context of ministry that God has placed us in. And we need to get it, get get on with the program. We the God has not given up the throne. God is in heaven. The Spirit of God has not become weak and powerless. We are not victims. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That's Hebrews 11. Read through that chapter. Almost every one of those names there are people, men and women, that ministered under tremendously adverse circumstances in adverse times. In adverse times. Now, I want you to notice one more thing in Daniel here. Nebuchadnezzar is an intriguing historical figure. An intriguingly historical figure. And by the way, let's take a look at the note there on page 4 that's in highlighted there. There must be a personal recognition of the sovereignty of God in the history in which we are living. What takes place in our time. Now, notice Daniel 4.17 this is amazing. The, 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 the words that we have in Daniel 4.17 are the words of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a strong, powerful king. He left a trail of bloodshed and destruction all over the known world. His kingdom encompassed the known world. God humbled him gave him a vision of a great tree. The, the birds, the whole world was nourished by the tree, found shelter in the tree. He was the tree. But then there's something came and cut that tree down. And he spent seven years as a wild animal in the wilderness. God humbled this, this king. And so we have the matter by the decree of the watchers, by the demand of the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. And he gives it to whomever he will. 
and he sets up over it the basest of men. <coughs> what an interpretation of his dream. Nebuchadnezzar, you are not in control. God is going to humble you. God will put over this kingdom anybody he chooses to put over this kingdom. And God is going to do what he deems right. Now we have Nebuchadnezzar's testimony beginning in Daniel 4.34. At the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. Now this is amazing, coming out of the mouth of this kind of a king. I blessed the Most High, praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Now here we have this pagan king saying that God is in charge. He's in charge of history. And he will always be in charge of history. And his dominion is everlasting. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Now notice that his kingdom is universal. Verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Now we have a lot of people in this world boasting of a lot of things. But as far as God is concerned, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? What a God. And this pagan king was brought to this realization. Absolutely amazing. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God would touch the hearts of world leaders this way? Amen. It would really be wonderful. Verse 36, at that time my reason returned to me, my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom, and my counselors and my nobles began to speak, seeking me out, so I was reestablished in my sovereignty. Now, who did that? God did that. Mm -hmm. And surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of Heaven for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Now, listen, as believers, it's time again, it's time again for us to get over this, this victim attitude, this defeatist attitude. God is the one in charge. God doesn't lose elections. Now hear me, God is not a loser. God doesn't lose elections. He puts in charge whom he will. We are his people. If he puts somebody in charge, he wants us to minister while they're in charge. If he puts somebody in charge, he wants us. He wants us to recognize that he has done that. And Paul talks about that in Romans 13. There needs to be a recognition when Paul wrote Romans 13. The rulership was pagan, idolatrous, wicked. So... There is a recognition of this. It's not an endorsement of the wickedness. It is not. It is not. We're going to move on, and some of this we will explain as we move along. So there must be a personal recognition of the sovereignty of God uh, in the history in which we are living. So we come on to page number five, and I have just enough time to just introduce this part of the message. Notice in bold type at the, at the top of page 5, the reason for the mess we are in, colon, 
The reason for the mess we are in, and we've got to recognize this. We've listen as as believers, we've gotten away from 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 thinking in these terms. The reason for the mess we are in is there are two mutually exclusive. Now you can underline that mutually exclusive, totally incompatible kingdoms in this world. And both of them are in full operation. You and I want to get rid of the conflict. The only way to get rid of the conflict is for Jesus to come and finally settle the issue with new heavens and new earth. We are not here to bring peace. Jesus said it didn't come to bring peace. It came to, came to bring a sword. Why? Because there are two mutually exclusive, totally incompatible kingdoms that are fully operational in the world in which we live. Satan is just as real, just as real a creation, a created being as God, as God is, and God is uniquely uncreated. God is infinitely more powerful than Satan is, but Satan is a powerful being. And the power that he has is given to him by consent and agreement. Adam and Eve sold the whole world over to him in the Garden of Eden by listening to his lie and following his suggestions. Now, there are two incompatible kingdoms. I told you about the Frontline magazine. Have you read it yet? You need to read this magazine. You need to be educated as a believer. You need to figure things out. You need to do some thinking for yourself. And I'm going to read to you a paragraph from the first article here, written by a younger pastor who has tremendous insight and, and who has thought things through and biblically figured things out. He has thought things through and he has figured things out. His name is Pastor Ben Heffernan. And uh, this is the paragraph. Listen carefully. Maybe I should read it through twice. This is the first article in the magazine. Listen to this now. You're not going to get this on CNN. You're not going to get this on Fox. You're not going to get this anywhere. You will get it from most pulpits. Listen to this. The cause of chaos in America today stems from a malicious refusal to agree with God's definition of goodness. That is a profound statement. Let me read it again. The cause of chaos in America today stems from a malicious refusal to agree with God's definition of goodness. Mm. Many, therefore, call evil good and good evil. They put darkness for light and light for darkness to their own hurt. These evil days remind believers of the value of truth and goodness. There is a fundamental distinction between that which hurts and that which heals, between that which tears down and that which builds up, and between that which destroys and that which blesses. This vital distinction undergirds the foundation of a much maligned doctrine, the doctrine of separation. At the heart of the doctrine of separation is the ability to recognize evil, the courage to condemn it, and the willingness to reject it. Now this is why we are in America where we are today. 
the church evangelical Christian world has failed, has failed to recognize evil. They have not had the courage to condemn it, nor the willingness to reject it. And in the light of popularizing Christianity and building mega churches, we've lost this. Believers must practice biblical separation because it honors the fundamental distinction between goodness and evil. Ignoring this doctrine makes one guilty of being an accomplice to evil or contributes to the deception that evil is good. That is one of the most profound paragraphs I've read in a long time. Let me read the first sentence. The cause of chaos in America today stems from a malicious refusal to agree with God's definition of goodness. Wow. That is absolutely true. We've made no distinction. We gloss over that which is good because we don't want the confrontation that comes with it. And we've given up before the battle is halfway over. Now hear me. There are two mutually exclusive, totally incompatible kingdoms in this world in which we live. Let's just take a brief look ahead. On page 5, I've included some notes from my outlines on separation. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18. It's just a sample. Notice the terms that are used in this particular text. There is righteousness as opposed to lawlessness. There is light versus darkness. There is Christ versus the devil or Belial. There is belief versus unbelief. There's a temple of God versus idols. There's clean versus unclean. I want to ask you, where in the preaching you are listening to on television, in the evangelical stations, where do you hear these distinctions? These distinctions must be taught to our children. They must be taught to our adults. You get these distinctions when you read the Word of God. That's why Brother Don is so wonderful today that we honor those who read God's Word. Because God's Word makes clear the distinctions between these various things. And in this passage, and we'll have to use this as a beginning point next week, but, but in this particular passage, in this particular passage, you, you, you have at the bottom th things that believers are prone to do. Uh, number one at the bottom of the page, to make a partnership, to share purposes and activities. Uh, what partnership, you see, do righteousness and lawlessness have? Or association move, uh, involving mutual relationships and what, what fellowship is like with darkness? What harmony, what symphony is the Greek word? What symphony is Christ with Belial? What does a believer in common that's in commonality, being part of the same whole. And then, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? What joint arrangement do they have? If, if you wonder why there is such division in our nation, that is because we have those who are aggressively Christian and those who are aggressively pagan, and we are living in the same country, and we are trying politically to resolve this thing. It won't happen.
But I say to you that until one repents of the wickedness and the Spirit of God begins to work and you become convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and until you are willing to resolve that God can be God in your life, this, this will never be resolved. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the ultimate resolution of this whole thing. It is the hearts of men, it is the allegiance of the hearts of men to God that brings them into confirmation. It is not political laws and edicts and decrees. That, that does not change the hearts of men. The thing that has happened in our country is the hearts of men have changed. Christianity has been watered down. Paganism has become strong and aggressive. And we as Christians have to resolve if we are Christians and if we are going to be biblical Christians and if we are going to love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. Not that we're going to hate pagans. That's not what this is about. They are our mission field. Jesus came to save sinners, not good people. And these pagans are the sinners Jesus died for. And because of political reasons, we become hating those whom we ought to love for the sake of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Now hear me. We've got to be careful how we deal with what's going on. We've got to be careful how we uh, relate to it. We've got to be careful about our attitudes. And then we look at the mess that this has created, and we don't like the mess, and we begin to complain and groan and bellyache about the mess that sin, sin is a killer. Listen, sin has nothing to recommend that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The final outcome of sin is the destruction of whatever it touches. Whatever it touches. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's God's power resulting in a divine rescue, resulting in salvation, a divine rescue for everyone who believes, the Jew first, and then the Gentile, the religious, and then the pagan. It's for everybody. You see, the only way you get to heaven, and this business of trying to justify certain things, certain sins, because we're born that way. Listen, we're all born sinners. You can't justify anything that we're born with. You see, we relate to God on his terms, not our terms. And we can come to his terms because Jesus Christ has taken all of the differences between us and God, all of our sins, all of our failures, all of our shortcomings. He has carried them to a horrible death judgment on the cross to put an end to them so that, so that God could be fully satisfied that there's, there's nothing left of our sins for which to pay. He's put an end to all of that so that on God's terms by simply receiving his payment, no way to do it without his payment. Our payment won't cut it. His payment is Jesus Christ. His payment is the person of his son. We receive his son because his son is the payment. And receiving his son is the payment for our sins on God's terms, which is called repentance. God is right and we are wrong. That's what repentance says. And we thank God for his mercy, his compassion, his grace, his, his divine favor in Jesus Christ. And we simply reach out. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are laden. We come to him. We receive him, God's payment for our sins.
and receiving him, we receive in him, hear me, eternal life. It's that simple. God put it on the bottom shelf so that everybody could have it. Now today, if you've not received him, turn your head toward heaven and say, Oh, Jesus, you love me, you died for me, you're the Son of God. Come into my heart and life today, save me from my sin. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. <laughs> and as many as receive him, to him God gives the authority to become one of his children, even to those that believe on his name. Everyone believing into him will not perish, but have. Everlasting life, eternal life. That's the message for you today. This is not a helpless, hopeless thing. The only thing that makes it helpless and hopeless is if we insist that we've got to do it man's way and we won't do it God's way. Because if we do it God's way, God is not a loser, God's a winner. God has this thing all figured out. There's a place in heaven for you if you will come God's way through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, we're in difficult days. We are the sons and daughters of God Almighty. We have the power of God's Holy Spirit with us today. It doesn't matter what we pass. Or when you go through the waters, I'm there. Through the rivers, they don't overflow you. Through the fire, it will not kindle upon you. We are the sons and daughters of God Almighty. We have nothing to fear. I will trust and not be afraid. I will not fear. God is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We're not victims of anything. We're conquerors, more than conquerors, through him that loved us. So may God stir our hearts today. We're going to sing again as we had for the last two, two services. We're going to sing that, that marvelous, that marvelous and, and, and wonderful and, and wonderful hymn. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. Listen, do you have a firm foundation in your life or are you being blown about by every wind that comes your way? These are days for planting our feet solidly on God and his word. May God bless you as you do. 